Hello to my listeners. This is Pastor Randy Starkey. I did these teachings on the end times and the return of Christ in several series several years ago when I was pastoring at Victory Church in Peavely, Missouri. One third of the Bible is prophecy, so we really need to be familiar with it, especially as it relates to our soon coming future. Although a few of my comments in some of these messages may be a bit dated, and a few of my ideas are still developing, the truth of God's Word never changes. And there are at least three things that I remain strongly convinced of. All three of these I will touch on in these messages. So number one is this. The prophecies concerning the first coming of Christ were fulfilled literally in real life and in real time. So I have no doubt the prophecies concerning the end times and the second coming of Christ will be fulfilled in exactly the same way in real life and in real time as the Bible describes. I believe it is a huge mistake to spiritualize away end time prophecy. The books of Daniel and Revelation are for sure filled with symbolism, but those symbols represent real events that are going to happen in real time. And it's all getting closer. And number two, I believe God's people will be raptured, caught up to be with the Lord before God's wrath is poured out on the terrible sin and evil in our world. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says Jesus delivers us, not just protects us, delivers us from God's wrath to come. However, I don't believe that will exempt us from Satan's wrath and persecution of true believers and the revealing of Antichrist before the rapture happens. That persecution and pressure we are actually beginning to see happen even now. That is why Jesus said things like we must endure to the end, be ready, watch and pray, don't be deceived, and that we must be about our Father's business and not draw back. And then finally, number three is this. God is not done with Israel. Jesus was Jewish. God loves the Jewish people and the land of Israel. When Jesus returns, that's actually where he's going to land, on the Mount of Olives. There's much to say about Israel and the Middle East, and all of that is coming very fast. And so, I, as I said, I will cover all three of these points in these messages. And these are things that we need not be afraid of when we have surrendered our heart and life to Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and we're walking close to Him. We have His direction, His guidance, His love, His grace, His power. And the Bible even says, look up for your redemption draws nigh. However, in these days, we all need to be walking really close to Jesus. And let me say a word to any of you listening today that maybe you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. 
Maybe you've even been hurt in church, or maybe it's been all religion to you. Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. And Jesus wants you to know him. He is the only way to have your sins forgiven. He is the only way that you can get to heaven. None of us can be good enough on our own. He is the only way to really experience victory in your life and be prepared for eternity. He left heaven, came to earth, gave his life on the cross for you, shed his blood for you that you could be saved and be forgiven. The Bible says there's no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. He's the true Savior. So I pray you will open your heart to him, receive him as your Lord and Savior. Allow him to forgive your sins so that you can be ready when he returns. It's really not a pretty picture and there is much to be afraid of because God is God and sin must be dealt with. And so without Jesus, we really are in a world of hurt. So open your heart to him today. Hey, a good way to find out more about that, just go over to our church, Victory Church here in Peavely. And uh, uh, they have an awesome, uh, Pastors Dan and Paige Lord are doing a great job. There's an awesome little book there you can pick up free called Fresh Start. It will give you everything that you need to get you going on your walk with Jesus. So all of this is why we must not only be saved, but be spiritually strong, awake, alert, and serving God. That's why I did these teachings. We have to stay strong in Jesus to know what's coming soon in the end times. And like Noah built the ark to the saving of his household, we must stay close to Jesus in the building of his church because the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And that is our forever family. So listen carefully and then check it all out in the Bible for yourself. God's love and blessings to each of you as you dive into these teachings. Amen. All right, well, let's pray. And uh, I'm sure some of you had a long day at work or at home or whatever, but we'll just trust that the Holy Spirit will stir us all up, wake us up this evening, and help us get some more good stuff to, to grow spiritually. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for this night. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the awesome book of Revelation that helps us understand, Lord, how the kingdoms of this world are going to once again become the kingdoms of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I pray that you would just quicken us by your Holy Spirit. Lord, refresh us today after wherever we've been at work or working at home or whatever we might have walked through today. I just pray for your anointing and your refreshing, Lord. We pray you'd give us um, ears to hear and hearts to understand, Lord, revelation from revelation that we might be prepared, Lord, for what's coming upon the world and for what lies ahead. And Lord, also that we might be effective um, servants of you, Lord, that we could be a blessing to our families and also a blessing, Lord, to many um, in the earth today. And so we'll thank you for it. We give you this time in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. All right. Now, take your outline if you would. And we've laid quite a bit of foundation. And so we're going to be more just focusing on um, the actual 
uh, chapters in Revelation now as we get a little further into this. Uh, I do, though, want to encourage you and, and just remind you that, you know, because Revelation is the last book of the Bible, it builds or summarizes or picks up on every other prophetic uh, um, aspect of the Bible as a forerunner to the very wrap-up here in Revelation. So books like Daniel, we've already talked quite a bit about Daniel. You know, again, um, Jesus' uh, key passages in Luke 17, Matthew 24, First uh, and Second Thessalonians are key books, Second Peter chapter 3, you know, all, and, and actually... And I'll touch on it tonight. Some of the Old Testament prophets had a lot to say about what uh, the Bible calls the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is a very um, specific time frame here in the book of Revelation. And I'll read you one passage tonight, probably out of Zephaniah or Zechariah. But actually eight of the Old Testament prophets spoke very definitively about the day of the Lord. And so all those scriptures, you know, feed the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation is the culmination of all those scriptures. So as you have time, I encourage you to, uh, you know, uh, read some of those other scriptures too because they really do lead up uh, to the book of Revelation. All right, now, um, if you'll take a look at the page two of your outline tonight, I just want to do a, a quickie little review of where we're at so far as before we jump back uh, into... Um, the seals and the trumpets. I did a little Bible timeline there for you there just to, to, to once again give you an overview of uh, the plan of God as it's transpired on earth, you know, just to, just to try to keep it simple. And it all began with Adam and Eve, and then um, uh, Noah came upon the scene. We talked about how, you know, the devil tried to corrupt uh, the lineage there, you know, of Noah and all that to keep... Um, Christ from coming forth. And then we, we know how the whole thing of, of Noah was a man who found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And, um, you know, God judged the world by water uh, there to preserve a righteous line. And so really, you know, the first 11 chapters of the Bible are just general chapters dealing with all mankind. And then on the scene came Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and God began to move through the nation of Israel because um, Christ needed to come out of a righteous lineage and God was going to do it. He, chose, he just chose sovereignly, you know, none of our business. He just decided to do it that way. He's God and he chose the nation of Israel to, to manifest his glory and that the Savior of the world would come through Israel. And so actually all the rest of the Old Testament after Genesis 11 is really all related to Israel. Um, there is some prophecies in there, of course, that relate to the church, and um, a lot of prophecies that relate to the coming Messiah. And uh, some of the Jewish people understood it. Some of them, some of them didn't. And then Jesus, of course, came. And uh, that's the time there where we have the Gospels, the four Gospels, the story of the life of Christ. That's a transition time from Israel to the church. And, of course, we talked about how in God's plan, Israel didn't receive their Messiah. And so God put them kind of on a path of, of dispersion into the world. It was really a judgment. But out of that, God gets mileage out of everything. So he raised up the church, which was a way to reach the Gentiles and also make Israel jealous. And so we have the Gospels as a period of transition time. If you want to write the word transition next to the word Gospels. And then we, have, we come into the church age. 
And uh, that's everything in the New Testament after the Gospels up to Revelation. And then Revelation is different because it once again brings Israel and the church together in God's final culmination on planet Earth. And so Revelation deals um, once again with Israel as well as with the church. And so we said a lot of this relates to a prophecy that Daniel got in Daniel chapter 9 when he prayed and he was asking the Lord to, you know, restore his people and all that. And uh, the Lord gave him a prophecy that's recorded in Daniel 9 that there would be 77s, you know, until the bringing in of righteousness and and the fulfillment of that plan. And of course, it was, then it was 69 sevens till Christ came. And so where did the other seven happen? Well, it didn't happen right away because Israel rejected their Messiah. And so we had that huge intervening church age, which you and I are a part of. And we got blessed as Gentiles and being able to be brought into the kingdom of God. So there's this last seven-year period left that has not yet been fulfilled in Daniel's prophecy. And we learn from Daniel's prophecy that that seven-year period will begin when Antichrist comes on the scene and makes a covenant with Israel. And uh, that period of time, that last seven years, what I'm basically saying to you is the book of Revelation represents, with the exception of some of the early chapters there that we already talked about, but the prophetic picture and the description of the events in the book of Revelation represents the last seven years of history and that we're getting very near that time. In fact, the whole you know, idea that, that Israel is now a nation again, 1948, that Jerusalem is now in the hands of uh, the uh, 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 Jewish nation, 1967. You know, for the first time, we are living in a generation that could actually go into Daniel's 70th week. First generation ever that could really experience that. You know, um, I mean, we obviously, some of us are from different generations, but I'm talking about, you know, the generations that are, that are alive at this time. And so that final seven years is what we're really talking about in the book of Revelation. And then I've kind of exploded that there at the bottom, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. But go back to the front page, and we, we need to say here, well, how do we know the seals are beginning in chapter 6 of Revelation where we have uh, Christ who's worthy to begin to open the scroll. We talked about the seven seals on the scroll. How do we really know that that begins Daniel's 70th week? I mean, how can we know that? How can we know that this is really talking about the last seven years? And um, a couple of things that we can say about that is if you look at Revelation 6, 9, obviously here the fifth seal is, you know, martyrs the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And we know that Antichrist in the middle of Daniel's 70th week is going to break the covenant with Israel and begin to persecute them. So if the fifth seal is in the middle of Daniel's 70th week, the first seal isn't going to be way back somewhere in some weird history time that's way before the 70th week. I mean, we know the fifth seal's in the 70th week. So it just makes sense that probably the first seal is the beginning of the 70th week. Because again, the book of Revelation deals with both Israel and the church. And what is it that what is it that's left to be fulfilled for the nation of Israel? It's only Daniel's 70th week. The other 69 weeks have been fulfilled. 
So even though there's no specific scripture, and if you take a look at Matthew chapter 24, uh, if you flip back there just real quickly, and then we'll jump into Revelation. But if you flip back to Matthew 24, and you take, we, we looked last week at the parallel events there uh, to how they parallel the seals. And um, let's look particularly at one verse there. Let's look at verse 15. Jesus said, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, we know that's at the middle of the 70th week. All right? And then all these other things that Jesus said prior to that, prior to the verse 15, they all parallel the seals. And so, you know, what is Jesus really talking about here? He's talking about Daniel's 70th week. He's talking about the abomination of desolation that takes place in the middle of the week. So even though there's no one verse that tells you that, that Matthew 24 and um, Revelation 6 on is specifically, uh, you know, Daniel's 70th week, I think it becomes pretty obvious that it is. And to give you one more thing that's kind of a clincher, again, the first seal is when Antichrist goes out riding to conquer and to conquer. Well, when is the logical time that that would begin? When he makes the covenant with Israel. That's when he really begins to establish his, although nobody knows who he is yet except the wise church, you know, but that's when he begins to establish his um, rule. So I, I just want you to see, and you know, it just to me, I'm an engineer and I work by logic and I just believe the word of God says what it means and means what it says. <laughs> and so when you look at that pattern, to me, it just simply makes sense that the book of Revelation is dealing specifically with Daniel's 70th week, as well as so is Matthew 24. All right, so uh, let's turn back now to Revelation chapter 6, and let's pick it up where we left off talking about the seals. And um, we're going to move on from there, but just by way of quick review, remember the first seal is the white horse and um, riding out to conquer and to conquer, and that these are all negative things. So some people try to apply this to the gospel, although the gospel is certainly powerful the gospel doesn't fit in context here. This is a conquering. And, and the reason it's white is because Antichrist is deceptive. You know, um, Antichrist means one in place of Christ, but it also means against Christ. But the idea of him being in place of Christ means people will think he's a savior and think he's the answer. So he has a white horse, but it, the white horse is deceptive. And so that was the first seal, and, and, and it's religious. He's going to have religious overtones. There's a lot of things in Daniel about that that um, I don't have time to talk about tonight, but he will be a, um, a, a spiritual figure, and uh, uh, all kinds of things happen. And we'll see in chapter 13, he'll have a wound that's healed and a bunch of stuff. And then seal two was the red horse, which we saw was war and violence, which has to do with political things. We, we, we can, you know, see things are leading up to that right now. And, uh, and then seal three was the black horse. And uh, that was economic problems. And, and as we said last week, you could sort of feel the rumblings getting ready for this. But I don't believe any of these seals have happened yet. Anything we're feeling right now is just a precursor to them happening. 
uh, as Antichrist makes a, a covenant with Israel, you know, it, it's going to begin, and, and Matthew 24 describes this as the beginning of sorrows. The world is going to begin to fall apart worse and worse. How, how many of you, I heard today, I don't know if it was Mike was telling me, Kim Il Young in North Korea, I, I understand what he's saying now is that if um, people cut off aid to his country because of his nuclear testing, that he will just start a war. <laughs> Isn't that a wonderful thought? You know, so um, at some point, you know, uh, this is all going to, going to, things are going to start coming unraveled more and more in the world, and it's going to set the stage for uh, Antichrist to come forth out of a ten-nation confederation. And remember, we talked about there may be three nations. That's what we should be looking at right now, what's happening over in Europe, revived Roman Empire. We should be watching that. It's not going to equal exactly the European Union because there's already 25 member nations there. The Bible is specific that it's 10 nations that are going to work together, and three of those are going to happen first. So we need to keep our, and that's all in Daniel's prophecy there, but we need to look, keep our eyes on that because as the world starts to unravel, it will set the scene for seal one to begin to happen, and then even more things will begin to unravel. And that's what the Bible calls the beginning of sorrows. And uh, as we enter into Daniel 70th week, it's kind of, and God's just going to kind of, I think, to way, the way you could describe it, he's going to take his hand off. He's going to pull back some of his grace, and he's just going to allow mankind at the beginning of Daniel's 70th week to take its evil course. And seal three, the black horse is famine and economic distress. We know the world is, is probably not far from uh, some of that happening. In fact, it is happening even already, uh, precursor. You know, right now there's, there's literally, how many of you know there's literally hundreds of thousands of people starving in Africa right now? You know, and so all you have to do is get a few more things screwed up in the world and, you know, you can, it's real easy to mess up food supplies and have ec economic distress. In fact, I think in an average big American city, you know, the food supply is what, one day, two days? Or something like that that's not that's not trucked in, you know. So anyway, uh, that whole thing. So we have religious, we have political, we have economic, and then finally seal four. Seal four there, and let's 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 read that one more time. It says, When he opened the fourth seal, verse seven of chapter six, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked and behold a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was death, and Hades followed him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. This is an interesting seal. And, um, you know, I, I mean, as I, as I teach you this, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I have the exact answer to every single detail of this. But um, this particular seal could be just more earthly problems that bring death. But it also, another aspect of this that, that it fits, and if you'll look on your, your chart there, uh, turn, turn back to page two where I've got S1, S2, S3, and S4. Those are seals. And um, it, it's the beginning of sorrows or the beginning of birth pains. And remember, we talked about how, you know, when, you, when, when, when the ladies go into labor, it starts easy and then it gets harder. And so the seals will... will you know, the will, will sort of be the easy time with the religious, the political, and the economic, even though that's going to be tough, 
It's compared to what's coming. It's going to be just the beginning of birth pains. But seal four changes a little bit and it actually starts giving a figure. You know, it says power or authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth. Um, some people I've read feel like that literally means a fourth of the people will die. Others feel it's just influence or things that will happen to a fourth of the earth. And I don't know that I can, again, definitively answer that, but it's a pretty significant um, <laughs> happening, however you look at it. But here's one other aspect of this. It's, it's to kill. You know, now we've already looked at violence. We've already looked at war. So this has got to be something different. The Lord's not going to just repeat himself. It's not going to be redundant. So this is, this is death, but it's, but it's a little different thing. It's death by sword, okay, but also with hunger, all right, and then just with death and by the beasts of the earth. So this fourth seal could actually um, be opening at the time that Antichrist breaks his covenant with Israel in the middle of Daniel's 70th week. So on your diagram there, I have it, I have it kind of right before the um, midpoint of Daniel's 70th week. And, and I, if you notice, I've got it right next to Antichrist's abomination of desolation because what this seal could be describing is the beginning of death that Antichrist brings to anyone who will not take his mark and worship him. And if you look at it, it, it sort of makes sense that way because... Kill with the sword, okay? That could be like execution. With hunger, what is the thing you can't do if you don't take his mark? You can't buy or sell. You can't eat. So will there be some people that literally starve because they refuse to take his mark? Probably so, you know? And uh, now, uh, I, I'm going to share with you some things that I'll probably do it this week, but there's some really, even though we're going to be here during some hard times, there's also some neat promises of God God has two ways of working with his people. He can take you out of a situation, and he will take us out of here for his wrath. But during the time of the tribulation, there are some promises about his keeping power. I think I mentioned this last time. So one of two things will happen. Either he will keep you or you'll be a martyr. <laughs> so, hey, you know, really, and neither one is, is um, I mean, either one is okay, you know, because it's by the grace of God. But seal four there, that could really be representing the death that Antichrist brings. Um, and you know, you know, when you think about the beasts of the earth, how many of you remember what they did to the early Christians when they refused to recant their faith? They got thrown to the lions. So could something like that happen in modern day society? I think it probably could, especially when you're talking about a weird, weird and freaked out Antichrist full of demons. All right. So, you know, I, I mean, uh, or this could just be crazy mixed up problems in the world. But I do think it kind of fits um, the whole idea of, uh, of death that would come because of Antichrist's reign where he really, his true colors begin to show when the abomination, of, when he comes into the temple, you know, and that whole thing, which is in the middle of Daniel's 70th week. And then you follow into the fifth seal, and it says, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And white robe was given to each of them. And it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. So there's a definite number of martyrs that are going to happen. 
The Lord's just going to throw in the devil's face. He's just going to say, I want you to understand right now, my people are not going to forsake my love and they're not going to deny me because they like me better than they like you. <laughs> you know, they have learned that you are the bad guy and I am the good guy. And my power is able to keep them. You know, we talked about Stephen last week. So there's a certain definite number of people that will be martyred. And I, I just want you to understand something here. The church is going to be here. There's nothing in the book of Revelation yet anywhere that talks about the church leaving. Now, there's people that try to say, well, yeah, when, when, when the Lord said to John in chapter 4, come up here, that that's the rapture of the church. Give me a break. It doesn't say that. Quit reading stuff into the Scripture. Let's just look at the Scripture for what it says, you know? And so, um, anyways, I know some people, you know, there's a lot of people in the body of Christ probably wouldn't like what I'm preaching right here, you know, but if it's kind of like, you know, if it rubs them the wrong way, then just turn the cat around, you know? So, but it's, I believe it's true. We just have to look at the Scripture for what it says. You know, we have lots of things over the years, lots of things where, where when Martin Luther stood up and, and finally straightened out justification by faith, you know, things like that. I mean, we have to understand just because a lot of people hold to something doesn't mean it's right. <laughs> and so, as I just read through Revelation, very simply, okay, Paul, I mean, uh, John talks to the churches, glorifies the Lord, jumps into the seals, and all of a sudden, by seal four, there's death, and by seal five, there's people that are being martyred for the cause of Christ. So I don't see any place in there that, that you know, that we've left yet. Okay, so if seal five, we know it begins at the midpoint of Daniel's 70th week, that means we are still here at the midpoint of Daniel's 70th week. All right? And so um, that's just, you know, that's just simply what the Scripture says. All right? And uh, now, let's go on. And so seal 5, we talked about there. was Now, at seal 6, it gets really exciting and it gets very interesting. All right? So take a look there at, at the little diagram once again. At seal 5, all right, we are being persecuted. That is what the Bible defines as the tribulation. Not any, any, anything before this is just the beginning of sorrows. It's not tribulation. A lot of people want to equate the tribulation with seven years at the end of time. There's not a single scripture anywhere that does that. It calls it Daniel's 70th week, but it doesn't call it all tribulation. And uh, it just isn't because there's all kinds of different things happening during that 70th week, all right? And so let me just, before we, uh, well, let's read, let's read seal 6 one more time and then, we'll, then I'm going to have you jump back one more place. All right, I looked, uh, verse 12, I looked when he opened the sixth seal and behold, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth of hair and the moon became like blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. I mean, that's some serious, serious cosmic action. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men and commanders and mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. And so, seal 5 is where we're being persecuted, but seal 6 totally switches gears. 
All of a sudden, there is this cosmic action in the sky. There is this darkness. There is this earthquake. I mean, the sky is, is receding like a scroll. You, I mean, we are talking about major cosmic action going on. And people, kings and that, they're, they're, they're running to caves because they realize the wrath of God is coming on the earth. And the thing is, for those that have taken the mark, it's too late. It's too late. They, they Under Antichrist, they are going to worship a false god. Not that they didn't have a chance to hear the gospel, because part of us is going to give them that chance, right? You know, and uh, so, you know, they, they thought Antichrist had the answer, and they, so they worshiped him. And, but now the cool thing is, and we'll talk more about this later too, not everybody's going to take his mark. There's going to be even people that are not necessarily Christians but that they somehow know Antichrist doesn't have the answer. There's going to be some Jewish people like that, and there's going to be some Gentile people that are not going to take his mark. And they're going to go into the millennium. They're going to go into the millennium in earthly bodies. Not everybody's going to be killed during the wrath of God. A lot of people will be. <laughs> A lot. And we'll see that here, you know. But um, so if you look at that diagram, during the time of tribulation, uh, and by the way, the, the, the seals... We call that the wrath of man because it's kind of like God taking his grace away and the, the, the beginning seals there, the economics, you know, Antichrist stepping forward. And, and by the way, when he first steps forward, he doesn't have the full power of Satan. That, that's going to happen here at the middle where it says Satan is cast to earth and Satan will literally embody him, totally possess him. Antichrist will be operating in the full power of the devil. But uh, so it's kind of like the wrath of man in the first three and a half years. When we get into the tribulation time, we really have the wrath of Satan because Satan has been cast to earth and we'll, we'll just, it's in Revelation 12, Revelation 12, I forget the exact reference, but anyway, it's, it, we'll, we'll get there. We're not to chapter 12 yet. But he, Satan is literally, there's warfare in heaven. He is cast to earth at the middle of Daniel's 70th week. It's very clear there in Revelation 12. And uh, when he's cast to the earth, it, the Bible says he knows that his time is short and he begins to operate bodily through Antichrist. And so there's a, there, when Antichrist steps into the temple, that's when all the false miracles, that's when all the false signs and wonders start happening. And it's during that tribulation time that he is going to kill anybody who will not worship him. And a lot of people in the world will be deceived. They think he has the answers, of course, you know, and they're going to end up taking that mark and worship, worshiping a false god. And, um, you know, not that they don't know better. You know, there will be people that will tell them better, but there will still be people that do it. There will be some that don't. And then, of course, there will be many Christians that are very smart, like you're going to be, right, that are around during that time. Um, and God will be using us. God will be watching over us. A lot of things will be happening. And uh, some of us may be martyred during that time. Some of us may be kept by the Lord during the whole time. But uh, it's good. that's the wrath of Satan. It's a testing time. The Bible describes it as a testing time. And how many of you know if you're going to graduate from any school, you have to take a test? And I'm telling you, God's people can stand up for the test. God is not coming for the church the way it is now. It's a mess. There's, I mean, he is going to, he's going to see who is going to really choose him and who really isn't. And anybody who does really choose him doesn't have to be afraid, doesn't have to worry because God's power is much greater than the power of the devil. 
But it all is based on repentance and faith and surrendering our heart and really living a true life with Christ. I mean, not, not playing religious games, not playing churchianity, but really walking as true Christians. And, you know, it's just like, you know, what, what happens in a college class when you take a test? <laughs> it reveals what you know. <laughs> you know, it reveals where you're really at. And the testing will reveal in the last days, it's going to reveal who is walking with the Lord and, and, you know, who isn't. It will just just reveal that. Again, it's not something you have to be afraid of because it's not by your power. It's by the grace of God. But it all, it all is in just surrendering our hearts. If we surrender our heart fully to Christ, don't play games and don't try to do our own thing and don't try to live like the world, don't try to live in sin, just give our hearts to Christ and walk after Him, then His power and His grace will be there for whatever we face. But to me, it only makes sense that there would be a testing time. You know, I mean, God is going to show the devil that he's a loser. And God's people are going to pass the test. In fact, uh, Peter said, the testing of your faith is more precious than gold. You know, though tried in the fire. And so anything true can stand the test. And so um, they have different ways of testing metals, you know, and things like that to find out if they're real. You know, and so really in the very last days when the church It'll be, although we'll be persecuted, it's going to be some of the church's finest hour because the love of Christ, the power of Christ will be manifest. People will be getting saved. And though, though the devil will be roaring, you know, and trying to do his thing, he will end up the loser. And so, anyway, at the end of that tribulation time, seal six happens. And, of course, the big question is, well, when does that really happen? All right, turn now to Matthew chapter 24, and we're going to see we don't know when it happens. That's what the Bible means when it says no man knows the day or hour. Look at if you knew that Christ was coming for you, you know, uh, at the very end of Daniel's 70th week, then as soon as Antichrist made the covenant, you could count off seven years and you'd know when it was happening, you know. And uh, But that's not when he's coming. He's going to get you out of here before that, you know. And uh, if, if, if you, and this is where really strong pre-tribulation rapturism tries to come in, it tries to say that, you know, you could be raptured at any moment. <laughs> well, the only problem with that is, remember I read to you last week in 2 Thessalonians that Paul said, let no man deceive you. That day will not come until the man of sin is revealed. You are not getting out of here till he's revealed. <laughs> oh, praise God, you know. So, but just think, you might get to be part of the generation that, you know, is here when Jesus splits the sky. That's a pretty good thought too. Anybody here would mind being raptured and not have to die? <laughs> you know, <laughs> of course you might be martyred, so you might die anyway. But anyway, well, you know, that's all in the plan of God. <laughs> but, you know, I just, I don't know. I've just never been one to pull back from, you know, proving what's really good and what's really right. So anyway, take a look now at Matthew 24 real quickly. Let's, let's, let, we're going to parallel this and then, then we'll, uh, we'll jump back to Revelation. But I want you got to have Matthew 24 in this particular part. All right, so, you know, they're asking Jesus at the beginning of the chapter, you know, what will be the sign of your coming and at the end of the age? And he says, take heed to no man deceive you. That's the false Christs and the whole thing of Antichrist. Then he goes through verses 6 and 7, the war, and all these are the beginning of sorrows. Now watch this, verse 9, then they will deliver you up to tribulation. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation. Then they will deliver you. It doesn't say anything about tribulation being in the previous three or four verses, does it? No, he said that's the beginning of sorrows. Daniel's 70th week is not all tribulation. Okay, only part of it is. So, but he says, then 
Okay? In other words, after the third seal, which is second, first, second, third seals are, are verses 5, 6, and 7. They parallel those exactly. And this is all these are the beginning of sorrows. He says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Then many will be offended, will betray one another, will hate one another. That's the ones that are weak spiritually, not walking with Christ. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many because lawlessness will abound. The love of many will grow cold, but he endures to the end shall be saved. So there's a, you know, that's a pretty good verse, isn't it? <laughs> you know, why would Jesus bother to even say that? This is the New Testament. He's talking here to his disciples. He's not just talking to Israel. These are the gospels. He's getting ready for the church. He's not just talking to, yeah, these are Jewish guys because they were the first guys saved. But Jesus in Matthew 28, he said, you go make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all things that I've commanded you. Some people try to say Jesus is only talking to the Israelites here and that they're the only ones that will be in, in Daniel's 70th week and you'll be out of here. Hogwash. Hogwash. That's escapism. That's American Christianity. That's a bunch of, if I wasn't saved, I'd say something. But it's just... You know, it's just not true. It's just not true. These are words to Christians for the whole church. And he said, he that endures to the end will be saved. Now, I mean, actually, one of the meanings of the word saved is a literal word delivered. And so I don't know that this is necessarily talking about losing your eternal salvation, but I do believe it's talking about if you stand strong, hang in there, the rapture's coming. Okay? You'll get out of here. All right, but obviously, why would Jesus talk about enduring if there wasn't something to endure? I mean, you know, people that just say the rapture can happen any minute, they can preach to their heart's content about people need to be ready, but people just don't tend to be ready if they know there's not any great test, you know? And so uh, then so what they do is they say, well, if you're not really spiritual, you'll miss the rapture. Well, define what really spiritual is for me. You know, does that mean if you have a bad day? Does that mean if you yell at your wife that day, you won't make the rapture? You see how arbitrary it becomes? You know, let me tell you something. If you've got to walk through a tribulation, there is no problem about defining whether you're having a bad day because you are in the middle of it. And how many of you know when you're in the middle of it, you've got to be spiritual. <laughs> you don't have a choice. You're The choice is you are going to choose. It's like someone said, trials make you bitter or better. It's just the way it goes. And it's not the trial itself that does it. It's your choice. It's what you decide to do. So God is going to show that his church can, can handle it. God is going to show that his church is victorious. And so, again, it's not something to be afraid of. It's just something to be right with God and trust him. He'll carry you through. He'll do all that he wants to do. So anyway, he, so Jesus says, he that endures to the end will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to the nations. Then there, and the, then the end will come. Therefore, therefore, whenever you see a therefore, ask what it's there for. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, and I love this, the Holy Ghost put this in there, whosoever, whoever reads, let him understand. So this whole thing is, is not just for these guys, it's for, for all the people that are going to get saved that are going to be reading this after this thing is written down. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Anybody, when, when, Israel, when Antichrist breaks his covenant with Israel, in the middle of Daniel's 70th week, the Lord says they need to get out of there. 
We'll show that in Revelation 20, I mean, Revelation 12, where God takes care of the woman, which is a picture of Israel, in the wilderness during this time. And uh, so Jesus is very clear. He said, get out of there. Get out of Jerusalem. Otherwise, you're going to die. <laughs> you know? So he says, when you see it, and so we're going to see it too. You know, the man of sin is going to be revealed. You know, we probably won't be living in Israel, so it may not be that much of an issue for us. You know, let who, him who's on the housetop not go down to take anything. Let him, th- th- those are specific people. You know, he's, he is talking there to those that when they see it right there, they're in Jerusalem. And look at there at verse 20. It says, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. So the Sabbath will be reinstituted in Jerusalem, I mean, in, in Israel. So, and, and on the Sabbath, you're not supposed to move, so you would be more obvious on the Sabbath. So, and, and you know, he, said, he says, pray also. He said, woe to those who are pregnant, to those who are... He's not saying don't get pregnant. It's just he's expressing compassion. You know, he's saying, he's saying man, it'll be tough, you know. But that's all right. Get out of there. Just get out of there, you know. And, uh, and for, now I want you to see, verse 22 is the key. Here it is. Well, actually, let's, I forgot to read verse 21. For then, everybody say then. For then there will be great tribulation. Basically, it's a repeat of verse 9. He's saying after the abomination of desolation, then there will be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. So it's going to be a nasty time. Now watch verse 22. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. And then he immediately goes into verse 23. He says, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will rise, show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, do not go out. In other words, the implication is here that you're kind of hiding from Antichrist, you know. That And especially Israel will be his prime target, you know. He says, then in verse 27, For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So he said, unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. Now, what's he talking about there? Is he talking about shortening Daniel's 70th week? No, can't. Because Daniel's already prophesied there will be 77, there will be 70 weeks. So he's not going to shorten the 70th week. What's he going to shorten? Take a look there at your alley. He's going to shorten tribulation. Because he said, unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. So Jesus is going to shorten the time of tribulation. And sometime before the end of Daniel's 70th week, guess what's going to happen? Seal 6. And seal 6 is all of a sudden where the sky starts going crazy. Jesus said, as the lightning shines from the east to the west, you know, and the, the sun's going to go dark and these great cosmic disturbances are going to come. And everybody that, that, that thought they were just really great in following Antichrist, all of a sudden the kings of the earth are going to go, ah, it's come as a thief in the night. They weren't ready. They were following the wrong person. And all of a sudden they're going to go into the caves and say, fall on us, let the rocks fall, for the wrath of the Lamb has come. And that's exactly what happens at the very moment of the rapture, the day of the Lord begins. The day of the Lord is the trumpets and the seals. And how many of you are glad you're not going to be here for that? <laughs> so you'll be here for that time of short time, whatever time it is. I don't, I don't, you know, one thing we know for sure, we'll see trumpet, um, trumpet, uh, 
Trumpet five is five months long. So you know that the uh, tribulation has to last at least five months less than Daniel's 70th week. And the other trumpets have got to take some time. So there's some significant shortening here, you know. But, uh, but we'll be here long enough, obviously, for seal five to come to pass, that the fullness of the martyrs will happen, and that we can demonstrate the power and the glory of God. But Jesus is going to shorten those days. He said in ex- verse 22, unless those days were shortened. What are those days? Verse 21 is the tribulation. That's what he said in verse 21. For then there will be great tribulation. Verse 22, and unless those days were shortened. So the tribulation time is going to be shortened. And the only, only thing the Bible defines as tribulation during Daniel's 70th week is the time of Antichrist persecution after he, he goes in the temple declaring himself to be God, institutes his mark system up until the time the sixth seal happens. When the sixth seal happens, Jesus is reigning on his parade. <laughs> And cosmic disturbances will happen. And at that point in time is, uh, is when the rapture happens. If you look on your front sheet there, cosmic signs, darkness, and lightning. The rapture happens, and you and I are taken up to, to heaven. And also there will be 100, 144,000 Jewish. And it's hard to say whether they are actually true Christian believers at that point, but they are definitely having God work in their hearts. And these become... I think there is a good possibility. The Bible just doesn't say exactly, but uh, a good possibility that they are, they ha- have become Christians and Jesus is leaving them there. Why? Because he has a lot to do to Israel. He has a lot, and we'll be talking about more of that in the weeks ahead. He has a lot to minister to Israel because God is not done with Israel. Can you say amen? He is going to restore Israel and those that will open their hearts to him will be saved. Okay. Now there'll be some Jews that, that take the mark and they'll be lost like Gentile believers. But, but God is actually going to restore Israel as a nation and he's going to bring back quite a few Jews. We'll see later, one-third, only one-third of the Jewish nation ends up establishing Israel at the end of the 70th week. Two-thirds are gone. So, um, you know, that's... <laughs> and some of those that, that die may actually, you know, be Christians and uh, may have already accepted Christ, but there will actually only be one-third of the Israelites alive at that time that actually are uh, physically alive when Jesus says, when Jesus restores Israel, and, and we'll see that. All right, so turn back to the book of Revelation now. And um, so if you take a look there at... Um, uh, uh, well, before you turn back to the book of Revelation, look once more at my chart, okay? And you see the tribulation is that time from seal 5 to seal 6. And then at seal 6 is when the day of the Lord begins. And uh, let me give you, let me have you, um, <laughs> I keep trying to get back into Revelation here and I keep having to give you a few other things. Let me give you one more scripture. Turn to Zephaniah. Zephaniah chapter 1. I just want to give you one example of an Old Testament prophet talking about the day of the Lord so you can get a feel how this fits in. Uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah. All right, Zephaniah. And many of the Old Testament prophets prophesied about the day of the Lord. Zephaniah chapter 1, beginning in verse 14, says this. The great day 
of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There the mighty men shall cry out. That day is a day of wrath. So the day of the Lord is not, and again, sometimes people really confuse this. They try to make the day of the Lord all of Daniel's 70th week. It's not. The day of the Lord is what happens when the seventh uh, seal is finally opened, you know, and uh, when the trumpets and the bowls begin. It's a day of wrath. So what's happened is we've moved from the wrath of man to the wrath of Satan against the Jewish people and God's people, the church. And guess what? Now we're into the time where God is saying, okay, that's it. Time is up. And we're now into the wrath of God. And that's what the day of the Lord is all about. And as you read the Old Testament prophets that prophesy about this, it becomes very clear. Okay? That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities and against the high towers. I will bring distress upon men. They shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like refuse. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath, but the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy, for he will make speedy riddance of all those who dwell in the land. And uh, by the way, that's not a... If you read that translation, that very that translation makes it sound like everybody's going to die, but that's that's really not quite the best way of rendering. And it talks about it's it's a little bit. I don't have time to go to other translations, but but it doesn't mean there that every single person is going to die because many other scriptures show that that's not the case. But obviously, it's a time of wrath and judgment. All the Old Testament prophets picture the day of the Lord as a time of wrath and judgment, and this is something that you know it's it's just. I'll be honest with you. Even a lot of Christians have trouble with this. We have, we've talked so much about God being a God of love, and He is. He is a God of love, you know. That's why He sent Jesus. That's why, you know, He's waiting as long as He is because He wants every single person possible to be saved. But somehow, you've heard me talk a bunch of different times about how every, there's two sides of every coin. Every coin has two sides, just like one side of the coin is the sovereignty of God and the other side of the coin is the free will of the believer. You know, you got all these different truths in the Bible that are kind of look like opposites, but they're really the same, same coin just to both sides. God would not be a loving God if he allowed Satan to stay on. God would not be a loving God if he allowed sin in heaven. God would not be a loving God if he didn't judge what is really, really wrong. So, but a lot of people have trouble with this. They just can't get a hold of the wrath of God. But it's so important to get a hold of it. God has wrath against sin. And the only way you ever get out from underneath that is humbling yourself before the Lord, receiving Christ as your Savior, and then saying, God, you know, I need you. And again, He doesn't expect perfection out of you. He just wants you each day to give him your heart, you know. Now we all, you know, we, we know how it goes as Christians. We all we all screw up. We all mess up. None of us is perfect. But what God doesn't want us to do is play games, you know. And there is a bunch of the church all the way across America, and many other places that are playing games. They're not really living for Christ. They're playing games, you know. 
And uh, so, I mean, we have to, <laughs> that's why there's a test. <laughs> I, I, I failed some classes in college. You know what it was the ones? It was the ones I played games during. <laughs> Those are the ones I failed. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so it's just we have to understand there is a test in the last days. And all, all, just God just wants us to love Him because He said He is going to judge sin. His wrath is going to be poured out on the earth. And, and really, if you're living for Him and you love Him, you will be out of here. You, you know, you will be out of here. You won't have any part of that. And I believe even Christians that are, are not walking in full victory will be out of here too. You know, I, I think if you're a Christian and you love God, I think it will affect your reward. The Bible does says, say we'll get rewarded in heaven, you know. And so, um, uh, but at the same time, there will be people. And there's people right now in America that think because they go to church that they're a Christian. They're part of a denomination or whatever, and, and they think just because they're part of that church that somehow they're okay with God. I tell you, we got to help some people see they're not okay with God. You know, that they're maybe not even born again yet. And that not only are they maybe not born again, but, you know, they don't even know what that means. You know, and they need to give God their heart, you know, and really surrender their heart to Christ because um, that's the only way to be saved. And uh, so, and then, of course, we know there's, there's, there's a lot of people on earth that they, they just uh, don't care about God. They, they're living for the devil. They want to live for the devil. They, 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 um, uh, they're just going to do their own thing. They're going to live for sin. And, and it's even as hard as it is to understand this, God says he's going to pour out his wrath on that. It's a little hard to grab a hold of that. It, you know, but, it, but again, folks, get a hold of this. It's two sides of the same coin. One side of the coin is God's love. He's sent Jesus. He's waiting to judge the earth. He doesn't want anybody to have to go to hell. But the other side of the coin is when the time is up, it's going to be unbelievable what he does to this wickedness and sin on our earth. Unbelievable. So, and, and it's, it says there in seal six that grown kings are going to crawl into caves saying to the rocks, fall on us for the wrath of the lamb has come. I mean, Whew, that's pretty heavy duty, isn't it? You know? And so, and like I said, there will be some, it'll be too late. They will have taken the mark and there'll be no second chance, you know? And so our part as a church, of course, is number one, to be ready ourselves, but also it's to realize that if, if Daniel's 70th week starts in our lifetime, we have to be totally bold in proclaiming the gospel in our day. I'm not going to be satisfied until I can reach every single person possible in Jefferson County. Amen? As long as there's one soul in Jefferson County that wants Jesus, we've got to make room for him at Victory Church. You know? And so I'm not satisfied in any place. You know? I, I want to, it's not about numbers. It's about people. It's about reaching people, you know, and doing whatever we have to do. I am not in, in, interested in comfortable, complacent Christianity. I could care less about it. I have no intention to retire. All I have an intention to do is refire. I plan to do more. When Kayla or Moses was 120, it says his eyes weren't dimmed, and Caleb and Joshua, they were ready to go take the mountain. You know, so that's the way I'm going to be till the day I fall over, get raptured, get martyred, or get something. <laughs> so, you know, and the way I look at it, I say, God, if I'm not doing something for you, you might as well take me out of here and not even let me breathe your air. Because I'm just taking up space if I'm not serving you, you know. So that's the way I look at it. You know, I look at it. It's, it we just uh, we just we're, we just need to be on fire, you know, and serve the Lord. And uh, 
And then, uh, you know, we can, God can use us and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, that, that, but I, I just wanted to mention that real quickly, that, that, that the day of the Lord, and we'll see more scriptures on this as we go on. But uh, it's, it's, some people just think, actually, God would never do that. But let me emphasize it again. God would not be a God of love if he didn't purge the world of sin. Who would want sin and evil in heaven? You know? Anybody want a child molester in heaven? <laughs> I don't think so. You know? So, now, if somebody repents and gets saved and falls on their face before God, then that's great. I don't care what they were before that, you know, because God will clean them up. But if they're not willing to be cleaned up, fry them up. <laughs> you know? That's the way I really, I hate to say it, but that's what God basically says. You know, if you're not going to turn from your sin, your history, your history, you know, turn or burn, try or fry. That's it, you know. And, uh, you know, now, you have to preach it in love. <laughs> but it's the truth, you know, it's the truth. And sometimes, you know, actually today, even in Sunday, you know, you hear some kind of preaching across even the land in America Christianity, it's almost like some people just try to make it easy. I, I like to build faith in people, but the bottom line is this. There's times where Christianity is not easy. You have to have faith. You have to have commitment. You have to, it's not that it's, it's not that it's not possible because God's power is there for you, but it's sometimes not easy. Anybody burnt the midnight oil studying for a test, falling asleep, trying to get ready. And you say, Oh man, I want to go to bed, but if I don't study, I'm going to flunk. You know, well, Christianity is the same way. You have to choose, you know. And uh, the biggest thing a lot of people do is quit, give up. You know, you, you know what? It doesn't matter how many problems you have, you're never a failure as long as you don't quit because God's always there to help you. It's, you'll, don't ever become a failure unless you quit. So just don't ever quit, you know. It's like that's one of the reasons we came out of World War II, right? Winston Churchill said, never, 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 never give up. It looked pretty, pretty bleak, didn't it? But ah, they came through. All right, so anyway, I chased a bunch of rabbits there, man. All right, so turn now back to Revelation. Let's do just a little bit more. And um, back into Revelation chapter 6, and the, the whole thing, verse 17, the great day of his wrath has come. Who is able to stand? Now, what? so, and then we read there in all of, I'm not going to read it again, but all of, the first part of chapter 7, how the Lord sealed 144,000 from Israel. And as I said, I believe those are either Christian believers or very close to it that are getting ready to uh, follow the Lord and God's going to use them to minister to the nation of Israel. And then we saw, picking it up in verse 9, we saw the rapture. I mean, some people wonder, well, where is the rapture? Well, it's right here, all the way from verse 9 all the way to verse 17. That's where the rapture is. Right in plain of our front of our face. After seal six, after the cosmic disturbances, after, you know, that we've walked through seal five, which is the persecution of Antichrist. And he says right there, verse 14, I said to him, sir, you know, he said to me, who are they? Where'd they come from? These are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation. Wash the robe. So uh, the, the Lord is going to take us out of that tribulation. He's going to cut those days short. He's going to take us out of it. And we're going to heaven. And I like verse 16 of chapter 7. Watch this. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. Now, if you're hiding from Antichrist, if we are, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that because you're ministering to people. 
You're hiding to stay alive, unless God specifically calls you to be a martyr, but you're hiding to stay alive so you can reach people. There's going to be people during this time that are not going to take the mark of the beast. There's going to be people during this time that are open to the gospel. You know, there's going to be people that are going to take the mark, that are just going to follow the devil, their history. But there's going to be many people during this time that, uh, before, right before the rapture, you know, that uh, are going to be open to the gospel. And you know what? If they get saved two weeks before the rapture, how many of you know they're going up with us? That's right, you know. They may not have a huge reward because they haven't been a Christian very long. But guess what? You know, they'll go up with us because it's by grace. It's not by works. The gospel is always by grace. But I love this here. It says, they shall neither hunger anymore. So again, what is it that Antichrist, Mark, won't let you do? Buy or sell? So I like the Lord almost like says, everything you just suffered during that tribulation time, you're not going to suffer anymore. You're not going to hunger anymore. You won't have any lack of food. You're not going to thirst anymore. Might even have trouble getting water. And I like that. This is cool too. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. Now, if you're running from Antichrist and hiding and doing gospel ministry on the run, how many of you know you might be sleeping out in the open? You might be trucking along through a hot sun. <laughs> I think that's so cool what the Lord says there. It fits it so well. They won't hunger anymore. They won't thirst anymore. Neither will the sun beat down on them anymore. So, you know, God, God, his eyes on us all the time. And so anyway, all right, now, verse 8, chapter 8 says, When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. So here, you know, the 144,000 have been sealed. They're ready to go. You and I have been pulled out of the tribulation. We are up there rejoicing with God in heaven. And all of a sudden, the seventh seal is open. That's the last seal on the scroll. That scroll is getting ready to be opened, which is God's final judgments on planet Earth. The last chance. The final decisions. And silence for half an hour. It's kind of like in computer language, you could say the program is loading. <laughs> the matrix is loading. You know? And so all of a sudden, then we switch gears entirely. And it says, I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. So, you know, all the time, what, we're, we're going to be praying during that tribulation time before the rapture. We're going to say, Lord, you know, touch people. Lord, and I don't think there's anything wrong with praying it. Say, Lord, bring your plan to pass and purge the world of sin. That's what the martyrs said under the, in, in this fifth seal. How long, O oh Lord, before you judge the world? You know? And so, you know, all, all these prayers that true believers have prayed, you know, the prayers of all the saints. And it says, and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer filled it with fire from the altar and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. I want you to notice something there. He filled it with fire and threw it to the earth. The Lord judged the world the first time under Noah by what? Water. He said the second time he's going to do it by fire. And that's the beginning of it right here. And I want you to notice, too, it was, it was mingled with the prayers of the saints. So even though we kind of know as we learn, learn the book of Revelation, we begin to understand what's going to happen, how many of you know that we shouldn't just take everything for granted and quit praying? You know, we need to pray and say, God, bring to pass your plan. 
Lord, bring to pass in my life, you know, your plan. And the Lord actually, when he poured out that censer, he said he poured it out with the prayers of the saints. You know what that says to me? We have a part. You know, we have a part. We're, we're partners with God in this whole thing. And he considers our prayers important. All right, verse 7. The first angel sounded and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood. Now, just get a hold of this. Now, this is God is beginning to pour out now here His wrath upon the earth, His judgment upon the earth. This is the first trumpet. And uh, it's hail and it's fire mingled with blood. And they were thrown to the earth. Now watch this. And a third of the trees were burned up and all green grass was burned up. Whew, man, I mean, that's a pretty heavy-duty first trumpet. <laughs> you know? I mean, if I was still left on the earth after all those Christians had just gotten raptured and I was wondering whether to take the mark of the beast, I'd say, uh-uh, uh-uh, I'm going to get right with God. <laughs> but you know what's amazing? There will still be many people that won't get right with God. And it just shows you, you know, sin gets a hold of people, you know, and it's why we have to take it seriously and, you know, make sure in our own lives that we say, God, you know, help me to live for you and, and you know, not play games with sin. And so that, that and they're, they're on your front sheet there. So a third of the earth, hail, fire, and blood fall on the earth, a third of the trees, and all the grass was burned up. Then trumpet two, Verse 8, then the second angel sounded and something like a, a great mountain burning with fire. Notice there's fire in every one of these. A great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood. Now, that's not symbolic, folks. That's literal. I mean, I just want you to get a feel for this and get a feel for how serious God takes judging sin. I mean, this is, it, this just, it causes me to realize, you know, that, that, um, that how would you say it? I guess, you know, walking with the Lord is, is really a, a big deal, our main deal, you know? And, uh, it's not something we should just take, take lightly in our life. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. And so that's all when the, when the second, uh, trumpet was blown. And then the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the water because it was made bitter. So it was probably poisonous there. Okay, So we've got a third of the earth. We've got a third of salt water. We've got a third of fresh water. Trumpet four. Then the fourth angel sounded. A third of the sun was struck. A third of the moon. A third of the stars so that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. And I looked and heard, and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. I think we'll stop there. So, I mean, you can see... Uh, the judgment that's beginning to fall on the earth, okay? And there's some, there's some really cool stuff. We're talking about the two witnesses coming up and, and uh, their ministry, which is really exciting. And then we're going to take, when we get in chapter 13, we get a, a clearer picture of some things uh, about Antichrist. And, uh, but I want, you know, if all Christians are gone during this time, but the thing, and this is something, you know, that uh, uh, 
you know, is a, is a fact too, is there will still be people here, okay, that, have, that were not Christians. They weren't Christians. So they didn't go up in the rapture, but they hadn't taken the mark of the beast. So they are actually going to be alive, you know, during this time where these judgments are falling, and it's, not, it's still not going to be too late for them to receive Christ. We'll see a little bit further on, there's, there's actually an angel that's going to fly through heaven, fly across the earth, fly through the heavens, telling people to repent and get right with God. And then we'll also see that there will be some people that just will refuse to repent and get right with God, which, uh, you know, is amazing. And, uh, but uh, it, it just, it is happening. So the trumpets are beginning God's purging of the earth. And Israel is still not saved yet. Israel is not back in their, back in their land yet. But um, uh, that's all coming up. And, uh, but, but God's, God's wrath is beginning to fall. And so uh, how many of you, this is starting to get a little bit clearer to you? Get a little bit clearer to you? Okay, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, it's, it, it's like, you know, you have to spend a little time reading the Scriptures, thinking about it, and, uh, and chewing on it, you know. And, uh, but, you know, and even though, I want to encourage you, even though right now I've got you to the point where you're gone, don't just say, well, you know, I'm not interested in what happens after I'm gone because actually I think it's, it really helps us to understand the heart of God to watch how he brings it all together. And even now, you know, you can pray right now. Say, Lord, I know there's going to be people around when those trumpets are going on. And just even pray right now. Say, Lord, I pray that, that, that some of those people will, will surrender their heart to you. So let's not just only think of ourselves, but let's think of the whole picture, you know, and what, what happens as we, as we get close to the end. So is anybody here glad you don't have to go through the wrath of God? And I, 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 you know, I wish I had a little more time, but I just need to stop. But there's a couple of scriptures. If you read First and Second Thessalonians, is the prime place where the Lord says it. He says we are not appointed to wrath. Okay, so you know, but He didn't say we wouldn't be tested, and that's where the whole thing there of, um, you know, being able to stand up to Antichrist comes in. But you will not have to be here during the wrath of God. But there's still some great things that we can learn about it. So, um. Anyway, hallelujah. Good stuff. Anybody have any quick questions? Yeah, true. I'm sorry, Virginia. Absolutely. The Bible's really clear that once a person takes the mark, there's no going back. That's why. That's one of the reasons why it's so important that we preach now, that we talk to people now. We need to reach everybody we can because really... And, you know, when Daniel's 70th week starts and the covenant, that we, we have three and a half years from that point until the time the abomination, and, and really people will not recognize him as Antichrist. And so we have, we have three and a half years, you know, t- to reach them. And, of course, then what happens is then we'll be being persecuted. And Jesus did say this. He said, work while it's day. He said, the night comes when no man can work. And I think once the persecution of Antichrist starts, it will be harder, at least harder to preach the gospel. Not, not that we can't do it. But it will be harder, you know, to preach the gospel. So, and uh, yeah, Nate. I think they will actually start prophesying at the time that the abomination of desolation happens. In other words, and we'll get into this next week, that the time of the ministry of the two witnesses is going to be the last half, 
of Daniel's 70th week. So they will, it's going to be very interesting because they will actually be prophesying during the time when Antichrist has his system of control and people have to take the mark. And so what will happen is, and actually it says, when he kills them, the people rejoice. It says they dance in the streets. They don't even bury him. They leave their bodies on the streets. That's how the seed people are going to get under Antichrist. They're going to say, these crazy, freaked out, crazy, idiotic, religious prophets, they don't know what to do. Leave them on the street dead. Now, that's the majority of people, but still, during their time of ministry, get this now, there's going to be some people that haven't taken the mark. And the ministry of those two witnesses, there will be some people that will repent and get right with God because of their ministry. So God up to the very end is trying to save people. He sends an angel flying through heaven to preach the gospel. Uh, I think he's trying to say he wants us to get saved. <laughs> but what's so amazing is there's a group of people. It just shows you the terribleness of the devil, the terribleness of sin, that people would get to that point where they'd rejoice over the death of those prophets and dance in the streets over it. I think it's in chapter 11. We'll get there next week. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, yeah, right. There's some of that going on. Yeah, a little bit right now. That's right. You, you, can, be, you can be anything else and they'll give you tolerance except a Christian, right? <laughs> and you know what that is? That's the spirit of Antichrist. That's the spirit, like the Apostle John said, that's already at work in the world. And so, um, praise God, you know, we just need to help pe many people as we can find Jesus. And every once in a while, you know, we just need to preach and say, hey, you know, turn or burn, try or fry. <laughs> it's the day's coming, you know. Don't play games with God. <laughs> All right. I've gone too long. Is that enough for one night? Are you getting anything out of this? <laughs> A little sobering one tonight, isn't it? <laughs> All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this night. I pray bless my brothers and sisters. Help us all, Lord. Move us and motivate us to um, uh, the reality of what spiritual life is really all about. Help us to serve you with all of our hearts. Help us not ever to be afraid, Lord, because we know it's by grace through faith, but just help us to always walk with you. Help us to be alert. Help us to spend time in your word, Lord. Help us to, to be interested in your plan for the earth and not be deceived by this world and, and, and distracted, Lord. But we just want to be all we can be for you. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Hey, God bless you. Thanks for coming.